0: Are you an adventurer looking to take your hunt to the next level? Then you're in the right place. Welcome to East Meets West Hunt with your host, Bo Tonic. Hey
1: everyone, welcome back to another episode of the East Meets West Hunt podcast presented by Onyx. I wanted to start off by talking about a new feature that Onyx has specifically within their Hunt app, and that is where you can change your waypoint colors. And why that's important for me is recently, so I've, I've been using the Onyx Hunt app for quite a while, and I have a lot of waypoints on there. So if you go to certain areas in Pennsylvania or Colorado or place I've hunted, there's, there's a lot of waypoints, probably some that I need to, to clean up a little bit, but what I'm able to do is, at least my strategy with this, is I'm able to change the colors for certain things that stick out, or you could change it by year. So I say any waypoint in 2018 would be red, and any of your new ones in 2019, you could be blue specifically how I'm using it for whitetail hunting this year is I did a lot of spring scouting. I marked a lot of waypoints, rubs, scrapes, bedding areas, things like that. And well, when I'd mark places for tree stands, they can kind of get lost in the mix. So I went through and identified all of the tree stand spots in blue. So when I look at a map from a big view, I can see them stick out right away. That's where these tree stands are or, not really where a tree stand is, but where I could potentially hunt out of a tree stand. And that really helps me when I'm game planning as far as not forgetting about areas I've scouted and also just tr- kind of seeing a big picture and how the land lays out. And it's a really big part when uh, scouting for mountain bucks specifically. So Onyx has offered up a code to all the listeners uh, for 20% off the hunt app. So if you want to use... The code EMW, it'll save you 20% off on either the premium or the elite membership. So check that out on xmaps.com or on any of the app stores on your phone. The University of Elk Hunting, Corey Jacobson and Elk 101 have come out with the most comprehensive elk hunting course available for anyone from a beginner all the way up through Elite elk hunters that have uh, quite a bit of experience. And as I've talked about it before, I'm going through this course again for the fourth time. And Recently, I've been kind of a little bit low on time. So what I've been doing is downloading the audio portion of the course on the app, and I'm able to listen to it while I'm driving, doing some other things, it really reiterate it and helps a lot with people when you're on uh, you know, time constraints as as it seems like we all are. So if you use the code EastMeetsWest at checkout, it'll save yourself 20% off that online course. And remember, investing in yourself is is super important when it comes to these type of hunts. And lastly, Maven Optics. So Maven has come out with the highest quality binoculars, spotting scopes, rifle scopes at half the price of their competitors through their direct-to-consumer business model. Well that's not any new news there. What is new is they have just dropped their new B five series binocular. And what Maven's done with this new B five, it comes in a 15 and 18 magnification by 56. They have taken their B2 platform, which is one I've talked about in the past, my favorite. I have it in the nine by forty-five. They've t- take that same prism and And put it into this new B5 that allows extreme low light capabilities and even lighter in a lighter package. So in case you don't want to carry the spotting scope, anything like that, but you still want to be able to really dive into doing some deep glassing, this new B5 is really cool. So you can check that out now at mavenbuilt.com. Use the code eastmeetswest-gift. Save yourself Well, actually, you're not saving yourself any money, but you are getting a free gift with that purchase. So check that out. And so now that that's out of the way, let's dive into what we have going on here today. So first of all, all, as far as news... Uh, the rattlesnake hunt that I talked about last week, the YouTube video is live now on my buddy Dave Church's YouTube channel called Noble Savage Outdoors. That's Noble Savage Outdoors. Check that out. Give him a, a subscribe and comment on the video. Check it out. Let me know what you think. Uh, it's, it's about 20 minutes long going through the whole process of the snake hunt from the gear used through the actual hunt to cooking up the snake and everything in between. So definitely check that out and see what uh, you think of it. And so today's guest that I have on the podcast is Abe Henderson from Alaska DIY. Abe is, he's he's a wild man. I mean, this guy has done some awesome hunts guiding in Alaska, moved there from the lower 48. I mean, he's just He's living the dream and just really, truly works his ass off to get to that point. He just got back from New Zealand. You hear him talk about a little bit in the, this episode about planning to go there as we recorded this a few months ago. But uh, it's Abe's a, a really great guy, and we're going to break down the process of planning an Alaskan hunt. And that's super important to me as I'm planning one for 2020 with uh, a couple of friends of mine. And we're really looking forward to it, but it's, you know, something that's pretty overwhelming. And I always thought was out of reach to, you know, the the normal population here, you know, us that, that, you know, aren't rich by nature in any means, but it's, it's truly not. And I'm excited to, to keep going through this process and I could really use some feedback here on, you know, some more questions of what you got out of this with Abe and I, as we kind of did a little bit differently where, you know, he kind of uses me as a case study almost where he's acting like, you know, we're not recording and we're just talking on the phone and he's helping me go through the steps to think about how to plan this hunt. And we're going to definitely do a second part to it at some point. So think of some questions, shoot them over to me an email, Instagram messaging, or however else you want to, you know, get a hold of me there. I'd really, really appreciate that. So he has uh, some online courses you'll hear him talk about on here that, our hunt planning guides to make your you know dream a reality with hunting Alaska and and he's offering up all the listeners fifty dollars off one of the online courses by using the code EMW twenty nineteen. If you decide you want to look into whether it's his ADAC caribou hunt or the Alaska Hall Road or whatever that might be the the information that you'll get in there is if you use one of the cost saving tips in there you, it'll pay for the course itself when you go to do the hunt and he's coming out with a whole bunch of other stuff, so definitely check check out some of his stuff and uh, hope you enjoy this episode here and I guess with that being said, let's just jump right into the episode here with Abe Henderson and Alaska DIY. All right, welcome back to another episode of the East Meets West Hunt podcast. So tonight, it's uh, 9 o'clock here on the East Coast, 5 o'clock where my guest is out in Alaska. I have Abe Henderson on the line with Alaska DIY. What's up, buddy?
0: What's going on, man? How are you doing?
1: Not too bad, not too bad. It's uh, a nice night here in Pennsylvania, finally a night without some rain. Uh, What about you? What's going on?
0: Uh, actually we had rain all morning and all day today. I went for a run in the rain and shot my bow in the rain, which is always fun to do. And, and I don't mean that sarcastically. I like, I really enjoy doing that because it's, it seems like I'm always hunting in the rain. So it's real, real world practice, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Um, but then this afternoon, the sky's broke, and it's beautiful and sunny and gorgeous, and it's a lovely spring day in Alaska, man.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. Before we uh, started recording here, you were saying at, at this point in the year, you have about like 18 hours of daylight?
0: It's something like that. It's it's light till 10-ish. Well, we you, what you have is a long, long gray space periods you know so long twilight in the evening long kind of gray morning um much longer than areas in the lower 48 and just because you're so far north you know uh, but yeah it's dark sometime around 10 or a little after and then this morning i was up at 5 a.m and it was like you know there's a little light in the sky but it wasn't really light till about 6 so you're talking yeah i guess 18 is a bit of a stretch it's probably closer to like 16 right now but By the let's see a month from now it'll probably it'll be all of eighteen, maybe twenty, and you know, and the farther north you go, you'll go far enough north up by Fairbanks and north of there, and it just won't get dark. You know what I mean? So Yeah. I I remember I experienced
1: that the first time last summer when I was up there for the solstice and I was in, you know, Anchorage, you know, where you're at, and it was it was so weird. It'd be like two o'clock in the morning and it's just like like it would be eight o'clock at night here, just kinda like dusk and then it like would kind of get dark and then it would just kind of turn right back
0: yeah yeah like june so june 21st or whatever the date that solst- summer solstice normally is even farther south than here like down in homer you know we've got pictures at midnight you know it's 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 like the sun's not up but it's broad daylight we're out fishing having a good time yeah uh yeah and then you know obviously the farther north that you go you know, there's areas where, you know, up in the Arctic where the sun never sets, just circles the sky. So kind of, kind of fun. Uh, which in fact, uh, when I was researching the Hall road caribou guide that I have on the website, which is kind of how to plan this, uh, road trip caribou hunt up North, you know, the Hall road goes all the way up to Prudhoe Bay, which is just short of the Arctic ocean. So, you know, basically as far North as you can drive and, uh, on the continent almost. And, uh, yeah, I think the longest day up there man I'm going to get the the number wrong but the longest day up there is is like I want to say it's like 30 some days long where the sun it's it's <laughs> certain it's a day that's longer than a month and and uh yeah so it, it's a land of extremes for sure man. Yeah, I would say
1: that's it's like I said it was super cool when we were there and I was up for the Heather's Choice Company retreat last year and we were at out uh, camping on a glacier, and I was with um it, actually a uh, guy you know pretty well. Filmed um, one of your hunts is going to film another one, Micah Ness, and we were up having some drinks and everything. And you know it felt like it was dinner time, and it was like one o'clock in the morning. You know? <laughs> yeah,
0: it's it's hard to get kids to go to bed.
1: I bet <laughs> I couldn't imagine having young kids trying to get them to go to bed at you know a reasonable
0: time. Well, it, I mean we raise pretty feral children so we just kind of let them run amok and do their thing but most of the time yeah most of the time that i that involves some form of fishing or just running on the beach or whatever but uh so it's all good stuff but yeah if you're trying to hold down like some kind of school schedule or something like that this time of year it gets really really tough yeah i bet (laughs) yeah i actually just got off the phone with mike a minute ago and we're planning our new zealand trip so that's pretty exciting that's coming up quick but uh mike is a good dude yeah, when um when are you leaving for New Zealand?
1: I mean, actually, this this podcast will probably uh, by the time it releases, you'll either be on the trip or just getting back. But when uh, when are you going on that?
0: Uh, I'm leaving. Let's see, May nineteenth. So about in about ten days. Today's the eighth, right? Yeah. Um, the- recording this and then returning june 6th so we got a full two weeks there you lose like a day of your life or something when you fly to new zealand i'm not quite sure how this (laughs) works but there's some kind of magic with that international dateline or something where it takes two days to fly there and then but when you fly back you'll fly for like 24 hours and you get home the afternoon that you left so
1: (laughs) i guess it all works out i don't know that's weird yeah that's really weird (laughs) (laughs) oh man so what are you what are you hunting in new zealand dude
0: we're going for tar i mean just free range run around in the mountains you know they're like our mountain goats up here but they got thicker horns a little bit longer and they got these big shaggy long-haired brown manes kind of sometimes they can get pretty light and look kind of golden uh they're just such a cool animal they live all over the South Island, and there are no, there are non-native species like so many, basically all the large mammals there. And uh, so there's basically no hunting regulations. You just uh, show up, and and there is a it's a free hunting license or permit. I can't remember what they call it to, that you have to get, but then away you go. You can go hunting. No no season, no bag limit. Um, it's kind of a free for all. Kind of excited to do an extreme mountain hunt that can be as technical and challenging as you want it to be, but with no real restrictions. So yeah, that's neat.
1: I mean, like I, I've heard a lot about New Zealand and I haven't researched it a ton myself, but it just sounds like a, a pretty amazing place. And it seems like, you know, this time of year and, and a lot of times I, I see people going to New Zealand, like in February and March and stuff, because again, there's no hunting season and it's when nothing else is, you know, going on and, and, the lower forty-eight in in Canada.
0: Well, and those people are smarter than we are. <laughs> <laughs> because New Zealand's in the southern hemisphere, so the seasons are flipped. So they're going in like the equivalent of like maybe our September, you know. So imagine, you know, like elk hunting or mule deer hunting in September in the West, those nice, sunny, you know, mild temperatures. We're going in what might be considered like a late November, early December timeframe. So we're gonna, we're planning for snow and cold temperatures and we're gonna be in the mountains and hopefully it's not, uh, not too rough. Uh, but I I'm definitely definitely looking forward to it. So, <laughs> I mean, dude, mountain hunting is is amazing. I can't get enough of it. So,
1: yeah, dude, that's I'm I'm excited to see it. And you're you're doing a whole film of the trip, aren't you?
0: Yeah, we'll put out another like twenty minute film basically um, that'll go to YouTube, like the the ADAC film that we did last fall that was released this spring. A uh, little bit different format. I'm kind of excited about this one. Uh, Micah and I are both gonna film each other so in the adac film uh, micah was behind the camera the whole time and a buddy from washington state came up uh that was his dream hunt was to hunt caribou on adac and so we went out and we were both in front of the film or in front of the camera for that and that was a great experience we had a, a really fun time and adac is a wild place but on this trip it's just micah and myself and we're both going to run cameras and film each other and kind of p- try to play creatively with the high-end production that Silverline offers micah's um, amazing behind the camera, and then also in the editing room, but uh, kind of play creatively with you know dropping that veil of you know in front of camera versus behind camera, and maybe a little bit more vlog style or kind of yeah, we're going to explore that space, and I'm excited about it.
1: Yeah, that'll be cool to kind of mesh the two, and I'll be interested to see. And I'm sure with Micah's you know talent, which I've had Micah on the podcast before, his talent is is un- unbelievable. The guy can take photos the video and then just like you said his editing skills are just they're unmatched.
0: Yeah, he does a very good job and he's just a good good dude uh to be on the mountain with as well. Just a solid guy. So, I uh I was introduced to him from he- by Heather, you know, at BHA Rendezvous last year actually. Um so uh Heather's uh, of Heather's choice is Heather Kelly is pretty amazing human being and she's been a great connector um in my life as well as it sounds like yours like i i wanted to come and crash the heather's choice party last year the retreat and i think we were camping somewhere so i didn't get a chance to stop by and grab a beer but uh i did hear that you guys were all in town and and i she had told me about you before we ever met so uh uh, she's she's one of those special people that just like I don't know. I feel like she pulls all these different threads that extend out to all parts of the globe, and and she knows a lot of really cool people, and she's got a gift for making connections and and with like-minded folks, and it's pretty cool.
1: Yeah, when when I was up there for that retreat, it was one of the like the neatest things that I got to experience because it was a mix of you had people like Micah and John Whipple who are you know really big into hunting, and then you had people that were not exposed to hunting and weren't hunters at all, you know, that were all together camping. And, you know, they're asking some interesting questions about hunting. And, you know, I'm, you know, there was a a couple that were in the dog sledding and like, it was just a super, I don't even know if that's the right term, but it was just really cool to, to kind of get that mixture of people together. And, you know, I was, everyone had an open mind and, and just, it was fun.
0: That's cool. Yeah, I feel like they do a good job of kind of transcending those boundaries of hunting versus the, the non-hunting or non-consumptive outdoor crowd, you know? Yeah, that's for sure.
1: So I guess that we kind of skipped over it a little bit here, but I'd like you, Abe, to get into your background and tell us a little bit who you are.
0: <laughs> yeah, for sure. No, that's fine. That's the way these things go, man. They take on a life of their, their own, don't they? mm mm-hmm. uh, so my name is Abe Henderson. I'm a full-time hunting guide in Alaska. So I work for out, an outfitter. And, um, and so I, I spend about six to seven months in the field each year between big game hunting and then uh, sea duck guiding in the fall. Uh, so we have we have a lot of fun and we and, and I guide for a lot of different species, uh, brown bear, black bear, moose. Uh, haven't done any caribou really to speak of, but uh, sheep, mountain goat, done a little bit of bison hunting, um, sika blacktail. I mean I don't know if I'm missing anything there, but pretty pretty cool extensive list of species to hunt here in Alaska, and I've been fortunate enough to be able to guide for for most of those species. Um, so that's how I make, you know, that's primarily how I make my livelihood and support my family. And then as kind of a side project during the off season, excuse me, I, uh, I started Alaska DIY because I have a whole bunch of friends and, you know, even family back home who has always wanted to hunt in Alaska, always dreamed of coming up for a caribou or a moose hunt or something like that and uh, and never really was able to put it together or knew where to start or how to get started planning a hunt. And so I kind of recognized this big information gap. And even though I work as a guide and, and hopefully soon I'll, I'll be an outfitter and, and work for myself and, and have a guide business, but um, I still have a heart it, within my, you know, I myself, am still like a, just a blue collar DIY backcountry public land hunter. I mean, that's what I do when I have my free time to go do stuff, you know? So uh, I saw a need there and, and thought, Hey, I'm not, I'm probably not the most qualified person in Alaska to do this, but I, I wanted to fill that niche just to kind of start by helping my buddies and my family and, and kind of scratching a niche that I had. So I started putting together content for, you know, for specifically aimed to folks in the lower 48 who've always wanted to come up to Alaskan hunt but didn't know how to plan that hunt. So they're basically online, you know, uh, courses or I call them how-to guides that are, you know, how to plan a hunt kind of A to Z of logistics and gear and understanding the animals and uh, cost breakdown. There's a ton of information in each one. And uh, they're for sale on the website. So it's kind of a little side business um, that I got that I'm working on building up. and But also just kind of, a, like I said, a labor of love with helping people just kind of live out their dreams, man. There's a lot of cool people that I know that are just good folks, you know, family men working a job and and kind of have that dream of coming up here and, and experiencing something really cool. And it's, it's attainable for sure, but uh, it is intimidating trying to figure that out yeah no that's that's for sure and it's
1: it's funny you say that because i'm in the process of trying to with a couple buddies of mine a good friend of mine michael and my cousin mason trying to plan a hunt in 2020 so next year up there and you know originally planning for moose but um you know kind of open to some other species from a do-it-yourself standpoint and it we've done what you know a lot of homework and Michael specifically has done a ton of calling, you know, air taxis and a whole bunch of other different stuff. And it's been, it's been a process man. And, and not having experience doing it, it's a little bit uh, more difficult uh, than, than planning like a Rocky mountain hunt or something like that.
0: Yeah. It, it, uh, Alaska (laughs) kind of stumbling over my words. Alaska is accessible. It's not it, it's not overly difficult to, to make a self-guided do-it-yourself hunt up here happen on the one hand. On the other hand, if you've never been here before and you've never dealt with the logistical challenges or the actual cost of getting it done and getting an animal home, it's, it's, it is a significant challenge with a, a fairly steep learning curve up front. Once you get kind of past that learning curve, then... You know, it's something that, you know, basically any hunter who can plan an out-of-state mule deer hunt or elk hunt, you know, in the western states could easily plan a hunt up here every year, or two or three, and, uh, you know, make it a regular thing. Uh, it's not it, – it doesn't have necessarily have to be that expensive or that complicated, but for the first-timer who's never been up here before, man, there's a there's a learning curve for sure. Um But yeah, tell me about what uh, what kind of what stage in the research are you guys so far, and if have you guys nailed anything down yet?
1: No, we haven't nailed anything down, but we um, so we got to the point where we we decided, or what we thought we wanted to do, is hunt moose. So we wanted to hunt moose, and kind of our idea of the perfect hunt is flying in, uh, to an area with a, a bush plane air taxi into we wanted to hunt instead of like a typical kind of like like a swampy area, more or less like a a mountain spot and stock type moose hunt. It was kind of what we were looking at. And we'd talked to some people up there, found a few units we were looking at the one that's ideal. And we actually had an air taxi that said yes, that they would take us in and it was reasonable priced is a draw unit. And, um, So that was kind of a little bit of a roadblock, but, you know, still keeping eyes open and researching some different units and, and just trying to figure out, you know, like there's so many different components to it where, you know, certain units have, um, you know, like a 50 inch minimum um, as far as the width of the moose and, you know, others are, there's just like a whole bunch of different components to that. So it took us a while to understand all of that and see exactly what we we're looking for, and then trying to call these air taxis again, just basically cold calling them, was one difficult to get a hold of some people, and <laughs> two, yeah, I could see that, and two, ninety five percent of them tried to talk us out of the idea. <laughs>
0: oh, well, just out of curiosity, what, what, why did they try to talk you out of of it?
1: So they basically said that with with people coming from the lower 48 and if you had not hunted Alaska before that you should consider caribou, uh, blacktail or some other species or black bear rather than actually uh going right for a moose just from the the standpoint of how big the animals are and getting them out and from the standpoint that we have three people and they said, you know, your odds of success you know, most likely you could take one moose um, between the three is, but it's not really possible for all three of you to have an opportunity.
0: Yeah, no, honestly, whether, you know, whether it's exciting news to hear or not, I think they're right on. I mean, they're giving you good advice. Mm -hmm. Um, So like even through Alaska DIY and, and a lot of information I put out, I don't recommend a moose hunt for a first hunt um i think it's much better as a second or even a third hunt if i if i could just set somebody up who had never been to alaska before and was just like you know they came to me and was just like just tell me what to do and i'll do it i would say sick of blacktail then come back for caribou then come back for moose um and there's a lot of reasons for that but you know i think they give you good advice and dude i remember there was a younger version of myself that i would if I was in your shoes, I'd be like, "Well, go screw yourself." Like I, I'm a tough guy; I can figure it out. I can move a moose around. Now, being a slightly older and more experienced version of myself, who has mo- who ha- I have moved some moose around personally, um, yeah, it's not it's not a joke, man. Those things are they're huge, and um, not only is it physically extremely taxing, extremely challenging, um, logistically, I mean, it's so much meat, and the horns are so big it's the most expensive self-guided hunt that you're going to do in Alaska. Um, mooses uh just because getting that animal out and depending on how how much of it what of it you want to get all the way home in terms of meat and antlers and and how you're going to do all that it's uh there's some serious logistical challenges there uh for the first timer so no i don't think they gave you bad advice uh (laughs) even though even though you guys might you know you you know you probably kept calling to try to find someone who to work with you but um uh yeah, man. I don't know. I think like start even just starting with caribou is a really smart choice. So where are you guys at? Have you decided to press on, or or what are you gonna do? So we've
1: kind of all talked about it, and we're open to doing caribou. So I I was open to all three species. The other guys and and for you know good reasons, but they just they decided they're like I, I don't know if I if a blacktail hunt is what I want to do, and it's you know it's understandable. I mean they. You know, from when you go to Alaska, you think of, you know, big antlers, big animals and, you know, a black tail is, you know, really they're smaller than a white tail, aren't they?
0: Uh, Yeah, I mean, I don't, their body shape is a lot different, but on average, they're definitely smaller. We've taken some big bodied bucks, but I don't know what their live weight would be. But yeah, dude, they're smaller than a white tail on average for sure.
1: And I think that's something that like, you know, a lot of people have a hard time. You know getting past saying oh i'm going to alaska and i'm gonna shoot a deer you know but but anyway so in the process kind of what we got to is like we wanted to explore options with caribou whether that be the haul road or ideally it would still be a flying you know hunt and i know that's more expensive and more logistically you know complicated but that's kind of what uh, what the kind of experience we're looking for
0: yeah, gotcha. Um, dude, I get it. Because even when I recommend Sick Blacktail, and I love hunting Sick of Blacktail, I've guided um, quite a few sickle black tail hunts. And then I shot a couple last year with my longbow, um, which was a, just a blast during the rut. But, um, dude, when you're talking about a really big buck being like a hundred inches of antler gross, Yeah. you know, I mean, that's just hard to get excited about if you're back East hunting whitetails um, and you're dreaming of Alaska, it's like, man, I could shoot a hundred inch buck here. I don't, I don't want to, you know, pretty easily probably. I imagine, you know, you don't want to Uh, You're going for something, like you said, bigger horn and more exotic, (laughs) more, like, iconic far north species. So it's hard to get people excited about sickle Blacktail. But honestly, man, they are such a cool animal to hunt and such a great adventure. Um, Doing it on Kodiak or Prince of Wales. It's like they, they offer different experiences, but they're just such cool places to see. And, uh, I still, I, it's a hunt that I'll do a lot of, you know, probably every year just cause it's so much fun, but, uh, I get it. I get it. I hear it a lot from folks. It's like, yeah, I don't want to sh- go shoot a small deer. Um, the advantage is, you know, is that killing a sick of black up here for one, you're hunting a deer. So 99% of hunters probably pretty safe to say a hundred percent of hunters coming up here are familiar with deer hunting. You know, if they're thinking of coming and hunting in Alaska. And so, Sika blacktail don't act really differently than, you know, like mule deer out west. Uh, they're not as cagey. You know, they're a little easier to hunt. They're plentiful. Uh, so, they're, that level of familiarity with the species I think is a huge um, advantage, you know, for kind of cutting that learning curve. Because when you talk about hunting caribou or hunting moose, all of a sudden you've got a new species to try to figure out to hunt in a new location a long ways from home with different regulations and different logistical components for getting out there and getting back. So that kind of it builds it's built into that l- steep learning curve, right? But when you talk about hunting deer, it's like, oh okay, that you you know, most people could come and figure out how to successfully hunt sick of blacktail pretty quickly. Um and so high success rates on sickle blacktail, and then when you shoot one, man, I mean, you can put the all the boned out meat basically in one box and check it as a, you know, freeze it and check it as a piece of luggage and fly it home, and you're good to go. The horns fit in, in basically any of your bags, yeah. you know, that you might have checked, you know, just bundle some clothes up inside that little basket rack, and away you go. And um, it's pretty straightforward, man. But uh, so there are some major advantages there for like getting into that learning curve or like, um, uh, increasing your odds of success. That's, that's a big one, but I get it, man. Cause yeah, not everybody gets excited about it for sure. And yeah.
1: And, and the thing is, and I'm sure like myself and, and the guys I'm going with would be super excited if we did, it'd be a great experience, but I guess it's just something that, uh, I know kind of had our hearts set on, you know, like a moose or caribou to, to go with it. So like I said, with with yourself and a lot of the others that I've talked to that, that I respect their opinion on telling us that, you know, maybe moose isn't a, a great first option. You know, we're, we're definitely considering uh, other options at this point.
0: Gotcha. Yeah, for sure. The other thing too, Bo, is that, Hey man, I like I'll guide a lot of people who it's their first time to Alaska. And by the end of the trip, they're like already talking about plans to come back. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, it it just has that kind of impression on people. And then I've guided people who are on their 12th trip to Alaska, you know, and they're planning their next trip. I mean, it's like, it's one of those things where if you love hunting and you love adventure, um, you love big, open, wild, beautiful country and the animals that, you know, that live there, it's an easy, easy place to fall in love with. And so uh, I think a lot of people look at like a moose hunt in Alaska you know if you're from the lower forty eight you primarily hunt deer or turkeys, whatever you see it as a once in a lifetime trip like you're gonna do this once, you know, and what'll happen, and this is why i don't I don't think twice about recommending somebody coming up and, sh- and hunting sick blacktail or caribou before moose is because it's if you come up and you you know you're gonna love it, you're gonna want to come back, so you might as well help yourself out on the front end by you know tackling a species that's a little easier a little more logistically simple uh just less work overall involved to kind of you know eat you know make that learning curve a little bit easier for your first trip because you're going to fall in love you're going to want to come back and hunt something else so you might as well you know what i mean you might as well do it so you have incremental steps instead of a huge hurdle with like a big moose up front and then you're going to want to come back and hunt caribou and and bear and whatever else anyway so yeah
1: no I, i understand what you're saying and I'll tell you what, when I went up there, just again, with, uh, the Heather's Choice company retreat there, like I just fell in love with everything and it was killing me not to be hunting something. And I believe me, I enjoyed myself. I loved everything about it, but, and you know, H- Heather and Brad had said like, you know, come up and black bear hunt with us. And that that's not as logistically complicated because it basically, I could go, you know, to their place or somewhere around there, you don't need to fly
0: out to hunt them. And it's what, open 12 months out of the year? Yeah, there's areas where you can, I mean, they hibernate in the wintertime where they're hard to come by. Um, So, but yeah, I mean, there's areas here. I was just talking to my two teenage boys last night about going and doing some black bear hunting in late June, early July when I get back from New Zealand, you know, so it's like midsummer, but midsummer in Alaska, if you hit 70 degrees, it's a hot day and you know, you get up in the mountains, it's even cooler than that. So um, yeah, so has got a little bit different feel to it. Everything's green and lush and yeah, it's a nice time to be out, but there's a lot of opportunity up here, man, for sure. Um, but yeah, so when I, when I teach people like how to plan a hunt in Alaska, I usually break it down into different, um, different questions that need to be answered, which is kind of boring. Um, but it's basically the who, what, when, where, why, how, you know? Um, and one of the mistakes that I used to make that I see a lot of people make is you get on, like, in Google, you know, like, Moose Hunting in Alaska or DIY Moose Alaska or self-guided Moose Hunting in Alaska. I don't know if you guys did that when you were oh, yeah. doing <laughs> your research. <laughs> yeah. But I'm just curious, what was your experience when you, like, clicked, you know, enter and, and you got the Google search results and you started going through it? Like, how did that process go down for you? Um, it was, I mean, you had to filter through. Filter through a lot of bullshit
1: before you find, you know, maybe one piece out of two hundred that's worthwhile. I, I yeah. guess is what I'd say. A lot of time spent on it.
0: Yeah, and if you if you got to two hundred, then you really you stuck with it longer than I would say most people do. Um, just my experience talking to people. Uh, I think I think it's so overwhelming. Like I still find myself doing it sometimes, and I know better. Yeah. <laughs> like, because I tell people like the last thing you want to do is like vague and unspecific research online. Like that's kind of like the worst way to uh to start researching a hunt. But that's uh dude, I still do it sometimes too. Yeah. But um so let me ask you this. Like, do you mind if we just like I just ask you a few questions and maybe I could be kind of helpful a little bit, or would you rather just talk about stuff in you know in more general terms?
1: No, let's 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 uh let's go through it as if you're kind of helping me here.
0: Okay, cool um so what i usually do is i start um i start with scarcity uh when planning a hunt and sometimes this works and then sometimes there's kind of like a i'll start with why but for for the sake of dialing it in let's start with scarcity and what i mean by that is is you guys are looking out to 2020 so you're about 18 months out roughly uh maybe a little bit less is there any uh any resource or any anything when you're thinking about planning your hunt that's uh, like a major limitation for you in other words like do you like are you going to be on a shoestring budget hunt because money is a major uh, factor for you guys and you're going to try to make it as cheap of an experience as possible so that you can actually make it happen or are you limited by like you can only get away for a certain amount of days because work is pressing or you can only get away a certain time of year or is there some kind of like you know is is it really important to hunt like with certain people or like any you see what i mean by scarcity it's like there's some some limiting factor that's kind of built into you know how you're gonna plan your hunt do you have anything like that that's like really pressing
1: uh not really i mean we we kind of we all got together and talked and we're like all right you know what you know what do we want out of this and we all wanted the best experience possible. And that's why we've been talking about this for about a year now and started, you know, putting money aside and saving. We're like, we're going to make this a great experience. We don't want to cheap out on it. Yeah. I'm not, I don't want to go and spend $10,000 on a trip. I'm not going to be able to do that, but I want to have the best experience possible. And, you know, we all agreed on that so that, so I, I guess to an extent money isn't, going to be a huge limiting factor. Um, and then, you know, all, and the, the three of us that are going, we've, we all know each other really well. We're all comfortable with each other. And honestly, there wouldn't be, you know, any other people I'd rather be putting a miserable, when I say miserable, you know what I mean? As far as <laughs> in hunting situations, it's not always, you know, uh, rainbows and gumdrops. And these guys are, you know, ones I'd want to be with. So that, that's kind of what, and and as far as a time frame we'd kind of said about 2 weeks we could all do okay so from a from a time frame
0: okay cool so the reason i like to start with scarcity is because sometimes that is a factor for people and it, if there is one pressing thing uh, one major limitation, then that's kind of where you have to start to build your hunt around it. Otherwise, you're going to keep having all these false starts where you get started with an idea and then it doesn't work out because of this, you know, and you have to back up and go and and start over. So, just as an example, maybe somebody's listening, be like, I don't get it. Why is he talking about scarcity like this? For me, as a hunting guide, uh, I hunting season is my guide season. That's when I make money. So it's very difficult for me to fit a hunt in for myself. While most popular seasons are open. So one of the reasons why we did the ADAC film was I had a narrow window in October be- where I had a little bit of time off between hunts when most of the like moose caribou um, seasons shut down in September at the end of September. And before I went to Kodiak to guide Mountain Goat and Sick of Blacktail hunts. And so um, I had this narrow window. And one, ADEC was one of the few places in Alaska that had an open caribou season, right? So then initially, right there, boom, there was a, an opportunity. And that's one of the main main reasons why we went and did that. So that's a that's a limiting factor for me. Um, but first, other people, like if you're, you know, if you have this dream of taking like, you know, a loved one, like, like I've thought about getting my dad up here who's almost 70 years old. And, um, and if I were to do that, then the limiting factor or the, you know, the scarcity would be like, okay, I have to plan a hunt that my dad's going to be able to do. And he's still in good health, but he's just not as physically capable as somebody, you know, in their twenties, thirties or forties. Um, and so I'm going to plan a, a different hunt and also plan a hunt that will just be more fun, like maybe less, uh, you know, somebody else. It's not maybe it's not really a scarcity, but maybe a, a major priority would be like somebody with a goal of shooting a Boone and Crockett or a Pope and Young animal. They're gonna plan a different hunt than I would plan if I was inviting my dad up to just have a cool ex- experience with him and share, you know, show him Alaska for the first time. You know, at least on the hunting side. Yeah. Um, so does that kind of make sense at least at high level? Yeah. Um, no,
1: that's a, that's a that's a very good. I mean, good point. And you know, everybody's got to be on the same page with it like you're saying because if you know if you're in a hunting party and say you got like us three guys going and one of them has a limiting budget or time or physical capabilities then you have to take that in accountable i mean you have to account for that and i i get what you're saying
0: yeah so it sounds like you guys are in a cool place though where that okay you can each take two weeks um there's not any major limiting factors so then i would say start with why um You know, try to nail that down right off the bat, which you already basically described that or alluded to that, which was you want to have this really cool adventure with close close buddies, right? Yeah, yep, and we we want, you know, uh, an
1: experience that's, you know has a little bit of type two fun in it, you know, a little bit that's difficult <laughs> and, uh, you know, gets us going. My, my buddy, Michael, that's going, he's got a a little bit of a different attitude with things where he, it kind of scares me because he likes risks to a point that scares me. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, he wants, w- <laughs> he wants to be put in some of the worst case scenarios, but <laughs> anyways, yeah, that's, uh, we, we want to just an awesome adventure, but at the same time, we do want to have success with it too, you know it's it's uh we we do want to come home with an animal I mean that's the goal to do that you know if we kind of you know said if we can get two out of the three of us to come home with something, we'd be really happy
0: yeah, okay, so high priority is not only a a cool experience and what you mean by type two fun I'm assuming you're referring to well, I think it's Steven ornell was the first one to start talking to it in those terms. I could be wrong, but it's the kind of fun that it's not fun while you're experiencing it but then later when you look back it seemed fun like yeah it's, but, it's but, fun to talk about so athletes. fun to talk about yeah <laughs> that, i mean that was adac for us it was a bit of a suck fest while we were there and then later it was just like oh man we got to go back but i think we started saying that once we were back in town with a roof over our head and warming up with our clothes coming out of the dryer kind of a thing <laughs> yeah
1: yeah and so, so, like, so like we we want we want to have you know some of that but and you know and enjoy it at the same time but you know we're we're not uh, we're not looking for like a, any sort of gravy I guess hunt which I don't know if anything in Alaska is but you, you, I think you get what I'm saying
0: yeah and I was just gonna say I wouldn't worry about that <laughs> like <laughs> if you've never been here before just plan any hunt in Alaska and you'll you know the odds are you'll get a little bit of the suckfest uh, experience the type two fun at some point during your trip so yeah, uh, yeah for sure man. So, okay, cool. So here's what I, here's what I recommend. So, um, I kind of have a system where I I take 10 questions, the who, what, when, where, why. So that's like six questions and how, um, and we've already talked about the why, right? Um, so I like to prioritize those questions, right? So I take like, I call them five secrets. It's kind of cheesy. <laughs> I don't. I kind of want to reword it because they're not really secrets, but they're just like different things that I've found that can really uh, assist you. That are they're a bit counterintuitive. So I guess that's why I've called them that. Um, so they're a bit counterintuitive. Can you hear that in the background? Yeah, a little my, bit. To, yeah. Yeah. I think I think my son was in charge of getting pizza out of the oven, and now I'm realizing that the house is full of smoke and there's an alarm going off. Oh, jeez. <laughs> uh hey josiah josiah sorry you got this under control buddy okay all right (laughs) (laughs) he's 13 he's capable i think (laughs) no he is he's awesome uh he says he's got it under control so i'm just gonna carry on like nothing is happening Bo knows how to edit. He said, so we can just clip oh. this right out. <laughs> it depends if yeah. I, wanna edit. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't want to edit. Yeah, that's fine. The Henderson household is full of smoke while Dad's on, you know, microphone on a podcast with oh. with Bo from Pennsylvania. That's so, great. Um, so uh, where was I? Oh, I was just so like this little method that I kind of use. I think it's pretty good. Might need might might need some fine tuning, but uh. It's something that kind of makes a lot of sense to me when I'm planning my hunts. But anyway, so it's like start with scarcity or or start with why if you don't have a major limiting factor. So that's like number one. And then number two would be like prioritize and procrastinate, which typically it's not really good advice to procrastinate. But uh, in this case, um, what I mean by that is you take those 10 questions and actually just the first first six questions, the who, what, when, where, why, and how. Um, I don't think I'm missing one there. But uh, take those and prioritize them, right? And you really kind of want to focus on the first one or two or three, and you're going to forget all the rest of the questions that are lower priority, right? And that's the procrastination part. And so what what I'm trying to do here is encourage people to like really get focused about their research instead of like going to Google and saying uh, DIY moose hunt in Alaska, right? yeah so you're clarifying what you want out of an experience what's really important to you uh or what or uh, you know what the major limiting factors are for you to start with and then we're going to prioritize that those questions uh who what when where why how um and so and so then the next one is like focus more research less so you're going to really drill in on those first few and you're going to do really focused research on on like very you're going to nail down a question and we can do this if you want to but um you, you kind of identify a specific question that you have um, is as specific as possible and then when you go to actually start doing research you're just you're just researching the the answer to that question and so what it does is it takes the whole hunt planning process you you've boiled it down into like manageable bite-sized pieces but you've done it' really smart because you've prioritized first so you're you're you've got manageable bite-sized pieces but you're doing you're tackling you know, you're researching the most important ones first. And then the, li- the, the, later ones will come because sometimes they'll just kind of snap into place as, as you go through the process. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I'm a big fan of leveraging your network. And what I mean by that, it's a network that most people don't really know that they have. And that's just reaching out on social media through forums and stuff like that. And just, um, talking to folks. And I think there's some really good ways to do that and some really bad ways to do that. But, um, talking to folks who have been there, done that, you know, it's quote unquote experts that they might not be like, you know, guides or outfitters. They might not be, um, celebrities or anything like that, but just people who have been and done that hunt before or hunt in a similar area, you know, finding somebody on Instagram who's done a moose hunt in Alaska, man, you have a very specific question, not just general, like, Hey, where'd you hunt? Kind of a thing. Like that's not going to get you anywhere. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, it's funny because
1: i All I did was I had a post about uh, a picture of us planning. We were having some beers in my basement, planning this, you know, hunt, getting everybody together, and I had a guy reach out to me. He's like, man, I've hunted twice. Do it yourself. Moose hunts in Alaska, you know, and he was super helpful. He's like, this is the airlines we went with and blah, 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 and and the air taxi that he went with was, uh, you know, I just said that we didn't really have a limiting budget, but this was pretty astronomical compared to the others but their success rate is extremely high you know oh, was it renfro's that's exactly who it was
0: yep yeah yeah they're out of bethel that man they shoot some huge moves and they've got phenomenal hunting out there but yeah they're high you're talking almost ten thousand dollars for a drop camp huh yep, i think they're like, like eight eight to nine
1: yeah yeah i think it's like it was like 9500 at, at uh the point when we when we talked to them
0: yeah, but man, I I got buddies who go and and, and have paid that a few times on the moose that they come home are just slobs. I mean, they they shoot some really crank, cranking cranked moose out there. It's really Yeah, I'd like to go do that someday too. I got to figure out how to make that happen. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, so uh yeah, but yeah, so finding someone who's done it before, right? They can if you can kind of open up that that door in a way that, that you're not just fishing for generic information you know because imagine receiving a message and we're kind of get, getting off on the tangent um because i was doing the high level thing on this li- list but anyway real quick imagine being on instagram or, or facebook or whatever and you get a direct message and it's just like hey i want to move something alaska what should i do you know it's like you're not going to take the time to be like well here's exactly you know how to do it but If you got a message it was like, hey, man, I just saw, you know, congrats on, you know, your moose hunt a couple years ago. I saw some pictures that you posted up. looks like an awesome hunt. I'm in the middle of researching my hunt. This is what I figured out. I got X, Y, Z nailed down. I'm just kind of curious, you know, uh, maybe you have any insight into this. Maybe not. But here's like a question that I have and I'm not sure exactly how to get the answer to it, you know. yeah. Kind of a different approach uh, showing that you've done a lot of work, showing that like, you know – You've put a lot of effort in and also leaving the door uh, like leaving an, uh, uh, an easy out for them. You know, I think that that's kind of nice, too. So, you don't, you're not trying to pin someone down to give an answer. And, you know, there's that feeling sometimes if if you don't you respond, you kind of feel bad or, you know, there's. But I don't know, man, I don't know if that's good or bad, but I always try to give somebody a really easy out. And, yeah. Yeah. No, but,
1: that's, uh, that's kind of like. So I've had people ask me, what unit do you hunt in Colorado? <laughs> well, that's not on. like, I, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't respond in a rude way, but I don't, right. I'm not going to, you know, that's not what I'm going to do. I'm not going to do the homework for everybody. And I would never expect someone to do that myself,
0: right. you know, different
1: right. things like, or like when I call a biologist for on a Western hunting side of things, I'm calling them, you know, I'm saying, all right, this is the trailhead I'm looking at this certain basin, this part of it I'm looking at how are the elk numbers in this area? This is showing that I've already done this research, you know, and I'm saying, Oh, it looks like it might be a summer range. And I give like, so that they know that I'm not just calling and being like, where are the elk at? You know, right. You know, it's more to it. And I've had really good feedback and I've gotten a lot of good information by doing it that way.
0: Yeah. It's almost just like you're throwing an idea out there and just looking for some confirmation. Like, Hey, am I, am I on the right track? You know? Yep. Um, no, that's good stuff, man. And then so that was the fourth thing. And then um, just to move on quickly here, act fast is number five. And and that's what I tell people all the time is like, if you want to actually make it ha- happen, you can plan and dream and, and think about planning a hunt until you're blue in the face. But until you put a few bucks down on the line and actually pick some dates, it's not going to happen. So you might as well, you know, so I kind of describe in, in, especially in the guides, you know, uh, like exactly what point in time to act and actually, actually put some dates down and, and make things happen. And there's nothing better than putting money down, like getting out your credit card and putting a deposit on your air taxi. Um, because what, all of a sudden when you have money on the line, you're committed, Right. You yeah. might you might only have half your hunt planned, but you got the important half planned. The rest of it's going to fall into line, but you know, you're not going to go back on a $500,000 deposit, you know, unless there's some kind of uh, you know, tragedy or something, you know, some kind of circumstances that are really major going to prevent you from going. So, that's so, you know, just to review those those five steps are call them five secrets. Um, But it's start start with scarcity or start with why. Prioritize, then procrastinate. Focus more, research less. And that's that, you know, getting those specific questions to do your research um, before you jump into it. Leveraging your network, you know, reaching out on social media or internet forums or whatever, and then acting fast. And I think that those things when you do them when you combine those with the with those 10 questions um the who what when where why how and then the other four are you know like um how are you going to get there and back so your logistics your travel logistics where are you going to stay so your lodging um what gear are you going to need and then then what are you going to eat and i call those um the hunt the hunt logistics so those four questions and save those for last i don't I don't, even though that's a lot of times where, you know, it, it can be kind of the first place people go. It's like, oh, how are we going to get out there? Or where are we going to stay when we're there? Uh, where are we going to hunt? Hunt, you know, like you said, like what unit do you hunt in Colorado? A lot of times that's the first dang question that everybody asks. But, uh, you know, if you want to do it right and, and you you want to plan a really solid hunt that's going to give you what you're looking for, I really think that's backing up and doing what you did and starting with that why component, I mean, that's you know, that's the way to go. And, um, so, so for you, Bo, you guys are saying you want, uh, an adventure and you want to do it together and you want a little bit of a, a little bit of a type two fun. Yep. Right. And I would say that any hunt Alaska is going to give you those things. right. <laughs> <Sorry. laughs> yep. Legitimately. So then, okay. So let me ask you this, if, if we're going to, like, if this is cool and you want to do this, um, so then, the next step would be like prioritize and procrastinate, or prioritize the the six questions, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, if we're talking about those hunt characteristics questions, I call them the who, who, what, when, where, why, and how. Those six questions. You've got why. Let's say we let's say we just put why as number one. Okay. So the who, what, when, where, why, and how minus the why. What would the next? Uh, priority be in your mind if you were just going to take a stab at it um
1: as far as okay so as far as how i already said like you know we want the adventure aspect and we'd like to have you know a reasonable chance of success and then you're saying another uh component after that
0: yeah yeah so we're gonna say why is the adventure and the success um That's something that I think, unless you're like a dedicated trophy hunter and willing to go home empty-handed if if you don't find the animal that's like up to your standards, most people are going up and want success. Um, You know that's the hope when planning any hunt. Uh, But you know, taking that into consideration, I think you got really good advice from from the air taxis that you contacted, who said, yeah, legitimately, if you're going with three guys. It's probably realistic to shoot, you know, that you'll have an opportunity to shoot one moose. Most likely not two or three. You know, it would be awesome success moose hunting with three guys out of the same camp to kill two moose and get it all done in a ten day time frame. You know, if Mm -hmm. you're taking two weeks off. So yeah. Um, So let's just leave that the success component. Let's let let that be for a minute because. Um, I think that's kind of a given. So we'll say why and who you've got your buddies picked out, right? Yep. Um, but none of them have any limiting factors. Like they're all in good health. They're all strong, capable. Yeah. Yep. Nobody. Okay. Nobody's afraid of water or heights. Nope.
1: Uh, I might be a little bit on the height standpoint, but.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, we're not planning a sheep or a goat hunt, so we should be okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm working on it, okay? (laughs) Yeah. Any, any limitations or preferences on when you're going to hunt, um, time of year? Like, do you have any commitments back home or anything like that? Or are you guys blocking this out? So you're just going to pick the best time to do whatever hunt you plan. That's
1: exactly right. We're, we're planning our year around this hunt. Okay. Perfect.
0: That's a good, that's a solid way to do it. Um, okay. Then I think it really comes down to how will you hunt, uh, or what will you hunt? Are your, are your other two options? Um, to kind of prioritize this. So what would be like species? And we already talked about, you know, the fact that you had started with moose and then, uh, we're getting, you know, some advice against that. So you're reconsidering. Um, and then the other, how would be like, rifle hunting versus bow hunting, float hunting versus, uh, mountain hunting, you know, like a river float hunt or, um, you know, you know, if you insist on calling versus, um, just wanting to do like a classic spot and stock hunt, do you have any strong preferences for the style of hunt that you want to do? So we kind of talked against the float idea.
1: Um, none of us have a lot of experience with that and, and just didn't think that was a good idea um, to go that route. Um, more or less the mountain style hunt is kind of what we're looking for. Um, as far as calling versus spot and stock, there's not really huge preference. If, if I'd have to weigh one over the other, probably spot and stock. Okay. Um, so that's, that's kind of what we were looking at from, from that standpoint. And so to to make it I guess to make it maybe a little easier for you to ask the questions here, let's let's say caribou just to, to make it for Issa of Talking.
0: Okay. Let's say we'll let's say we'll go what, which is caribou. Okay, so we know the why, we know the who, we know the what. Mm-hmm. So that leaves the when, where, and how. Yes. Um so they're not important. When, where, and how is not important now. You've got the top three. That's what's important, right? Yep. Um so the when, where, and how we can fill that in. What I mean by it's not important, it, it is important. You do have to choose, but it's not your primary. What you've done already is nailed down by by just saying, you know, for the sake of the discussion or, you know, whatever you're going to go with caribou. That really, that really nails it down. So you you want a grand, Alaskan adventure? You want to hunt with your buddies? And you want to hunt with you and you want to hunt caribou and we'll add with caribou. We'll kind of reinsert that little, you know, you want to be successful piece. Um, so your hope you want a high odds or high percentage of success type hunt. Um, so now what happens is, you know, what type of a hunt at a high level you want. Now the information gap exists between what you've clarified that you want and what's actually available. And that's, I mean, that's a huge information gap, right? Because you can't necessarily just figure it out by picking up a copy of the Alaska, you know, fishing game regulations and start pouring over it. You can, but it's going to take how many hours to break it down um, across the state in terms of opportunities available that are going to, you know, that are going to fill, you know, those, you know, that those characteristics that you've identified Uh, meet those characteristics and um and you you, even if you do that you still don't know what the topography is going to be like you know what what's what kind of a hunt experience you're going to walk into what the weather is going to be like in different areas um there's still a lot of information left out right yeah no definitely yeah so so this is where you you, it's time to do a little bit of research right is like okay we're doing caribou we can do it any time of year um We're definitely, it's three of you guys hunting, um, no limitations there. So that's really not a major, major deal. Um, and now we got to go find a caribou hunt somewhere that's going to be a grand adventure. Well, any caribou hunt in Alaska is going to be a great adventure if you've never done it before. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, you don't want to do a float hunt. So we're talking most likely a fly in drop camp style hunt, um, and so you, you're not going to be limited to river systems or anything like that. There's pros and cons of doing a flyout drop hunt versus a float hunt. Um, but I'm kind of with you on it in terms of like if you don't have river experience, I think, uh, you know, a mountainous or hill country hunt makes a lot of sense. Right. And caribou, they're good sized animals, but they're not huge. They're, they're kind of between mule deer and elk. Big one will be almost elk size, you know, body Body size Um, but some of the herds have some smaller bodies so more like large mule deer buck size and so a couple guys three guys you know you get a bull down you can easily get it packed back in one trip if you all go out and and haul a load so um so that's all that all makes a lot of sense you know in terms of just being this far into the initial hunt planning process Mm -hmm. so what what to do next so we we need to figure out how to find out what the best opportunity for you is going to be. And this is honestly like, it's going to, it might sound kind of dumb or kind of like self promoting, but this is why I created Alaska DIY is to fill this gap that we're looking at right now. Right. Um, And so I can tell you a couple of suggestions right off the top of my head that's going to save you some time in researching Um, or we could, or we could just like reconvene later and, and let you, you know, talk offline or something like that and let you do some research and get back on. But uh do I to just lay out some herds that are worth focusing on and some regions just based on kind of what I know high level about caribou opportunities in Alaska?
1: Yeah, let's 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 do that. Let's let's go down to that and then that'll give a little bit um a little bit more information for more of a focus kind of
0: research there. Okay, cool. So there are several herds caribou herds uh, in Alaska. Uh, caribou are really interesting animals. They're they're unlike anything in the lower 48, but if you had to pick one animal in the lower 48 that they're most similar to, it would probably be pronghorn antelope, even though pronghorn don't herd up in these huge herds and and, and migrate um hundreds or even thousands of miles. But they have some similarities there they're not they don't behave like elk they don't behave like uh, deer mule deer or whitetails so they're kind of a different critter and the um, in the herds do inter, some herds intermix more than others some are very isolated but the the state basically divides them up into distinct herds for management purposes Some of these herds are very large numbering uh, you know 50 100 200 plus thousand animals. Uh, Some herds are very small. might be just a few thousand animals in a small mountain range, and they kind of – that's basically a recognized distinct herd from other caribou. Uh, But it's just like, you know, they're animals. They don't necessarily obey political boundaries or, you know, whatever biologists, you know, determine as as quote-unquote, you know, herd populations. So there is some intermixing. But just for the sake of helping listeners understand what I'm talking about when I start to rattle off some herd names – there's, uh, I can't remember how many there are, there's 30 plus, I think, you know, distinct herds in Alaska that, that the state manages. But there's three or four of most interest to hunters, I, you know, in my opinion, um, coming up from the lower 48 to pay attention to. Um, and so most of those are far northern herds across the state. Um, a lot of the herds in the South and kind of central area are either small or have declined significantly. So another thing to point out to, uh, you know, at the risk of just rambling on too much is that if anybody listening does want to do a caribou hunt, the caribou situation is a bit uncertain right now. And the numbers across North America are down significantly, um this is not hunting related from any research that i have ever seen uh it is population dynamics that are that are changing at a rate that is uh, much faster than in, than anything that could be hunting induced, you know, especially since there's already you know seasons and bag limits in place, and and the herds are actively managed. But uh, several her- several hunting opportunities in Canada have been shut down for caribou, and Alaska's herds are actually at low levels right now. Several of those herds, so not all of them, but several of them are. Now that said, caribou herds do experience cyclical population dynamics so uh do you guys have like rough grouse or snowshoe hares or anything like that that does kind of like a 10-year cycle of boom and bust that you're familiar with
1: yeah actually the right now the grouse population's at like an all-time low in pennsylvania and okay it's they've actually uh they, they reopened it this year but for a couple years there they shut down the the later season of it
0: Okay, cool, and I'm guessing in four, five, six years it'll probably be you know at an at a at a high or if it follows the trends Does that sound about right? yep yeah, okay, cool. So caribou are really similar to that, but right now, I think um just from talking to some biologists that they that the herds are lower they're 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 low they're they're lower than in than typical and they're really hoping to see some of these herds bounce back i know one herd the central arctic herd in alaska which if you did the Hall road um caribou hunt and just drove up the Hall road that's the herd you would hunt and uh they they seem to they didn't survey last year but um they did it in 2017 and then they're slated again to survey this year in 2019 um and it seems to have stabilized but now we're Almost two years behind on data, so it'll be interesting to see what the new data says when they get a chance to do that population survey. This, I think, it's July they'll do that. Um, so, but some main herds, I, dude. I'm sorry, I talk a lot, man. But um, no, you're trying dead. to give a little, just trying to give a little background on on the caribou up here in Alaska. But um, the main herds that you'd want to look at or look at or regions would be like the west, northwestern Alaska, which is the western Arctic herd, uh, central Arctic herd in north central alaska and the porcupine herd is a herd that would be it would be a great herd to hunt if it actually stayed in alaska reliably but there's been a couple of years ago like the entire herd of like i don't know what it is 300 400,000 animals just like went to canada and they typically <laughs> seriously uh they typically do migrate into canada especially more in the winter time <clears throat> but there's usually kind of remnants of that herd scattered in in, in certain areas and in, in eastern alaska as well but uh yeah a couple of years ago i think basically the whole herd just left the state and air taxis and guides up there were basically i mean they didn't have anything to hunt and they had hunters booked and kind of a rough situation so i have not i have been reluctant to re- <laughs> to recommend the porcupine herd as a, as a good viable option just because of that. Cause you, they're so that herd is especially very migratory and can leave. Like I said, they don't, they don't obey political boundaries. Right. So, um, they, they could just leave the state and you have nothing to hunt if you plan that hunt. So, uh, but that's a large herd. That's one of the largest herds in Alaska. So those three herds are three of the largest currently in the state. And then another great option would be like the 40 mile herd. Um, so that's a few things that I'm just throwing out there at high level. I'm digging into a little of the details that are in the guide, but I'm just, you know, but it just, it's good information. So, um, I'm not giving too much away. There's still, there's still a ton of logistics and stuff that we won't get a chance to get into, uh, in this conversation. But, uh, those are, those are great options. And those all, those three hunts, especially like the Western Arctic herd, the Central Arctic herd and the 40 mile herd are all going to offer like these, very iconic North Country tundra, um, air taxi, or in the case of the Hall Road, you could literally just do a, a kind of an epic, cool road trip um, to get out there, and you could also combine that with an air taxi flight as well. So there's a lot, of, there's just a lot of options, but they're going to give you that high adventure, Alaskan experience that you're looking for, man. There's no doubt about it. Yeah. And, and it's,
1: so we're, we, we had talked about, we're, we're definitely not, you know, against doing the haul road that even though if it wouldn't require an air taxi or whatever, you know, that's, uh, you know, an option. We're all bow hunters and, you know, not afraid to get a gun out either, but, uh, primarily bow hunters. And I, I think that would be a really,
0: really cool hunt. And you do have a guide out on that. Correct. I do, yeah. So I have a how-to guide on the website right now. Um, And I should get you a promo code. We should do that and put it in the show notes if anybody listening is like – all of a sudden super excited about that opportunity um but it shows yeah it just walks through like a to z how to plan that hunt um flying in you know into alaska renting a vehicle and driving up the hall road and it's really one of the most economical hunts that you can do in alaska and i i did a podcast with brian barney do you know his his podcast yeah eastman's elevated
1: yeah i have i have that one downloaded to listen but i haven't listened to it yet
0: Oh, cool. Well, I just went up and did that hunt for the first time last August. And, um, I wasn't sure what to think. I went up and did it by myself and I wasn't really sure what, what to expect in terms of it being basically a road hunt, but I did take a rifle, not a bow. And we sh- will talk about that in just a minute since you brought that up. Um, uh, because there is, it, it does have some significance for that hunt, but, um, I took a rifle. So I did a, a fair amount of walking and hiking and getting away from the road and, uh, it was a great, cool, awesome, wild country, wilderness-type experience. And and so I was curious what Brian thought about it when we were talking, chatting with that, that podcast. Uh, and I, so I posed the question to him, like, on a scale of 1 to 10, how would you rate that hunt in terms of adventure, like like Alaskan adventure, um, as a total experience? And he was like like a 9, you know. And I really felt the same way after being up there. Um, which I have heard that criticism before that, oh, I don't want to do a road hunt. I want to do a real Alaska hunt. And I'm like, well, it's a dirt road, you know, winding hundreds of miles through vast roadless wilderness. So it – you know it like gives you access to real Alaska you know if you stayed on the road and you hunted from the road you know like we've all seen hunters do where no matter where you live I think um, then yeah you might be lacking some some you know classic iconic Alaskan experience their wilderness experience but it doesn't you don't have to hike very far across that tundra to get into some amazing country and really get that true adventure experience so uh, that's a great option But, um, no, the bow hunting thing that you're talking about, there's a corridor along the hall road, which is also called the Dalton highway, uh, or it's official name. It's real name is the Dalton highway. And, uh, it's the, there's a five mile corridor on either side of that road. That's bow hunting only. So, uh, and so I'm sure you've looked into that bow since you're familiar with that. Yep.
1: Yeah. And then outside of that five mile range, then you can use a rifle,
0: correct? Right. And you cannot use, you know, four wheelers or anything like that to get outside the five miles. So you're hiking basically or flying out, you know, um, with an air taxi or there's actually, um, there's some guys there that, uh, they'll take you out in boats too and drop you off on the river system. So,
1: okay. So with the, the hall road, you know, that's, um, that, that kind of experience, you can still get that Alaskan experience, even though like when I first heard of it, I thought of it as kind of the way you describe most people thinking of it as like a road hunt and kind of wrote it off as something. And then the more I've heard people talk about it yourself and, and others that it's, it's a pretty amazing, you know, you can have some awesome opportunities there. And, and that's like, you know, going back to, you know, the, you know, the who, you know, with who I'm going with and everything, it's a, a great chance to be able to be with you know a group of people and have a have a good experience that way too
0: yeah for sure well anytime you add that dynamic a road trip just is so much fun right like like just hanging out with buddies and and i don't know i did it solo and i just love i love road trips because um you know when i we moved up here from washington state a couple years ago and and so you know i hunted washington oregon idaho quite a bit and so my favorite getaways were always jumping in the, I'd have my truck all packed up, you know, even whether it was a weekend hunt or a week or two away, you know, I'd have it all packed up and sitting there at work and I'd jump off and, or get off of work and jump in. And it always started with a road trip where I was super pumped up to go hit the elk, elk mountains or something like that, you know? And, and, uh, so I think that even if you're not a road hunter, that road trip aspect for me is almost nostalgic. It's like, Oh yeah, it's on now. You know, we're hitting the highway, going seventy, listening to tunes, and just super stoked about what the next few days is going to hold. And so, in a weird but very Alaska flavored way, you know, the whole Road offers that same experience that's that's so familiar. Like, and and that's what you're doing too, Bo. I mean, you're, you're you know you're talking to folks about hey, how do, how do Eastern hunters? you know, learn to get out West and do the mule deer thing and the elk thing and cut the learning curve and and figure out how to make it happen. And I'm I'm sure most people that you talk to and and yourself included, I imagine you're, you're jumping in your truck and hitting the road. Oh
1: yeah. That's, I mean, that's one of the coolest parts is I never was West of the Mississippi and just getting this drive through all the States and just seeing things. And it definitely helps when you have people with you. Last year on my way back from Colorado, I drove 27 hours straight by myself and that was a little rough but <laughs> and I only slept for maybe an hour out of the whole thing so that was rough but when you're with buddies and everything else that's part of the trip
0: yeah, for sure, man. That's cool. Hey, here, you, you know, if you want to just turn this whole thing on its head a little bit, I mean, you guys, you'd have to get on the maps and figure it out, but you could legitimately add another week or 10 days to your trip and just drive from your house all the way up there. <laughs> that
1: would be a, that would be an adventure My And, and again, I don't want to go on a huge tangent here, but my, uh, my grandfather lived in Alaska for a while. Oh and, really? Yeah, and he he ta- he's just as, he's more excited to think about the trip than we are and he's not even, you know, going. He's in his mid 80s, but he um he was a a a fire jumper up there. Oh, so okay, yeah. and and did that and lived in the wilderness for 30 days at a time fighting fires and just but he drove there a couple times and said it's a it's an amazing drive and
0: everything yeah. else, but Yeah, that that drive is off. Awesome. You know what I've thought about, man? And I've thought about this when I was writing the guide. I was like, okay, if I still lived in Washington and I was going to come up and do this, I would get my either my dad or my father in law. And I'd I'd get them like with one of my boys, my oldest boys getting his permit right now, you know, and I was like, I would hook those two up and load up the truck and send them up to Alaska in our rig you know, all loaded down with camping gear and stuff like that. And then I'd fly up there and have them pick me up at the airport like a few days later, or a week later, (laughs) you know, so I didn't have to miss so much work and then we'd all go hunting and then I could fly home and they could drive it all back home. But, uh, yeah, I think that would, could be a really cool experience for everyone involved, but, uh, that's a wild tangent, dude, but people do it. I've talked to people who have done it. And even from the East coast, man, you know, time is the issue right there. Yeah. Yeah,
1: no, definitely. Maybe, maybe we can all, uh, quit our jobs and just make it a, a life experience. <laughs>
0: That's basically what I did. <laughs> in yeah, in a way. In a way.
1: Yeah, no. Uh, but as far as um the last question I kind of have here before maybe like I said before we start talking here for the listeners' standpoint, we're going to make this kind of like a two-part thing. So as you've kind of steered me in certain directions, I'll do some more research with the guys and you know, talk about some things and make sure we're in alignment with the goals and everything else, and what we want out of it. And then also get some feedback from you, the listeners, and see what questions you have to kind of further along this this uh, discussion. But the one question I do have is, what like you know, like, how, is it is it like a realistic possibility to like spot and stock and like kind of like a a mountainous i'm thinking almost like a how do i want to explain this kind of like a, you, a mountainous type terrain
0: yeah do you want a sheep hunt that's a caribou hunt kind of a thing <laughs> yeah i mean possibly yeah i mean hey i you know you know back when we were in washington that's what i loved hunting mule deer in the alpine and it was just like a go hunter a sheep hunt like a poor man sheep hunt you know because it's has all you know everything that a sheep hunt offers you can get hunting you know the cascades or the rocky mountains above timberline um yeah and yet you know it's an over-the-counter tag and a cheap cheap tag but that experience is there you know the quality and of the adventure and, and the wilderness experience so no i get what you're saying man if you're looking for like mountain terrain um there are some opportunities there are some opportunities it depends on how mountainous you want it to be um but yeah, that would be a great question for transporters and I would still focus on – I would kind of rule out the Central Arctic herd if that is something that you're really looking for, like that's a very important to you or a high priority, which I would consider um, how will you hunt, that question. Um, I would I would lump that into that because you're saying like how how will you hunt? Um, it's like, uh, uh, you know, what type of a hunt or what type of an experience are you looking for? That one to me kind of encompasses several different things, including weapon, including, you know, float hunt versus dry land hunt versus like what you're saying, mountain hunt, right? Yeah. Um, no, but there's something very appealing about that. Caribou absolutely do live in the mountains in smaller numbers, but you can get on them reliably. That's a great question for air taxis. Um, and, and I would be looking more t- at the 40-mile herd and the Western Arctic herd and contacting air taxis that fly, you know, do drop camps with access to those herds. Myself, you know, I where
1: I've hunted elk typically in Colorado, a lot of the, the first even th- two to three years here that I've hunted them, I've hunted them above timberline and around timberline. I love the high country. And Michael and Mason, who I'm going with, they've hunted mule deer just about exclusively mason was on my first elk hunt but they've fallen in love with high country mule deer spot and stock style and i know that was something that you know piqued a lot of interest if that was a possibility for caribou
0: yeah for sure it is a possibility you're definitely limiting your options but that doesn't mean anything really that you're just narrowing down exactly what you want out of your experience that's going to actually help you kind of um you know choose out of all the different air air taxis and transporters out there offering all the different hunts that's that's going to be a big one that's going to help you narrow it down so if that's something that's important to you guys that you really want out of your hunt then i would say um you know if we're talking about those those six hunt characteristics questions then i would say then that uh we would we would prioritize that pretty high and and uh that'll make some of the other stuff a lot easier when you're like trying to trying to choose where all of a sudden becomes really simple if you've limited the style of hunt down that's gonna narrow out or weed out a lot of a lot of the possibilities, you know?
1: Yeah. So how about uh like I said, I'll I'll get with these guys and kinda narrow down that what we wanna do from that and we can revisit it and and see if there's anything else that you know, that you'd be able to help me out with and, and help the listeners out with from that style of a hunt. And then also like, just like a Q and a type deal.
0: Yeah. And uh, dude, honestly, I would love to hear from your listeners, Eastern hunters, um, what kind of questions they have about Alaska. And I'll just be really like, uh, straightforward too, is like, I uh, like I'm not an expert at putting out the, this information or developing online courses. It's like a lot of it's trial and error for me. And so what I've done right now is I have standalone courses that are like I have a Sika Blacktail, a Kodiak Sika Blacktail guide. That's one product. I have a haul road caribou guide, like we mentioned. That's another product. I have an ADAC caribou guide. That's another project product. But there's a lot of duplicate information between them and they're at a fairly high price point I think I have had you know a few people comment on the prices so like um, so like right now the 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 Cody Exica Blacktail Guides like 200 bucks on the website, but I often give out coupons and it's around 150 bucks, right? Um the uh the caribou guides are like normally priced at like two fifty and off oftentimes I'll I'll drop coupons or something like that or special offers and drop them down to two hundred. So um uh, so initially I think that sounds like a really high price, and I think that um some of the feedback that I've gotten from people and Bo, you and I were talking about this before the podcast is that, um, is that they don't like somebody interested in hunting in Alaska. doesn't necessarily know if that's the hunt that they want to do. And so they're not willing to, to fork over 200 bucks for the information to plan that specific hunt. And that's just the way that I've kind of like developed the products, but I'm not stuck to like, I'm not locked into that. So I'm kind of curious, like I'm thinking about if people are, interested in it pulling a lot of that duplicate information out that's more just general like you know a 101 course on how to hunt in alaska like a lot of just general high level information with some introductory um info on moose and, and caribou and sick of black and black bear and stuff like that just real high level stuff but at a much cheaper price point you know so you can kind of get a better feel like more of a general education on how to hunt in alaska and what it takes and then if you wanted to plan a specific hunt then i you know, maybe drop the prices of those other standalone guides or something, just make it more approachable. So I'm really curious um, if, you know, if, if your readers have like specific questions on what they want answered, like I'm always interested in hearing that so that I can make the products, you know, as, as, as valuable and as like as informative as possible. Uh, But also like, yeah, I'm just kind of curious, you know, just in general, you know, where people are at in terms of, you know, what kind of information they want, what they're willing to pay for it. So, yeah. Uh, and,
1: and you know, Eve, that's, that's something like, I, I don't think that, I mean, yes, it may sound like a high price point, but I think if you know that, say you want to do a hall road hunt, I don't think dropping 200, $250 would be a big deal in the scheme of things. If it can limit your time with, you know, figuring out some of those logistics and it, you can, it helps you in that process. I think that's more than valuable. It's worth the money. It's just like, yeah, I get, I get what you're saying. And, and kind of where I was at with it before I even met you, if I would say I was a hundred percent on a haul road hunt, I would have bought your course and, you know, went through it. But it's just, it's just sometimes I, I, I think that again, from my perspective, that, it's 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 difficult to figure out exactly what you want to do first
0: yeah that makes a lot of sense yeah i would love to hear from your listeners if they want to chime in and leave i don't know what kind of uh, avenue you have for them to get information to you but uh be really interesting to hear just you know uh, what what's going through their head as they listen to us talk, you know, cause we're kind of wrapped up in this conversation, but you know, I sometimes when I'm listening to conversations, I'm like out loud, like chiming in and you know, yeah. always, so I'm sure a lot of people have questions and have thoughts about what we're saying. Um, I would love to hear, you know, some of that stuff, but, uh, no, I think you're right. I think there's more of a need for general information. And, uh, just as a quick note on the price point is like, dude, there's a ton of value that I pack into those guides. I think they're worth, you know, every penny that I'm asking. And then more, I, p- I put a lot of cost saving stuff in there. Um, so a lot of there's a lot of ways where if you really implemented it, and you needed to save money, um, you can save more than the cost of the guide on your first trip to Alaska, as well as avoiding a lot of common mistakes that I see. Um, you're just going to go way better prepared. And then, you know, and then there's nitty gritty detail like, hey, here's where I recommend staying you know, in this town, and here's the vehicle that I recommend renting if you're going to rent a vehicle. And here's what the migration patterns of this herd are doing this time of year. And so it's just like I I think there's a lot of value in those things. And that's at least that's that's what I'm trying to provide. Like I'm definitely trying to help people out. You know, and uh, yeah, it's a labor of love for me for sure. Yeah, that's that's awesome.
1: So, a where can people find this information on your guides and everything else that you know you're kind of. Putting out here with Alaska DIY.
0: Yeah, for sure. So um, there's a the website is huntalaskadiy.com. So you got to add the hunt in there. So uh, somebody must have somebody already got Alaska DIY before I came along. But uh, it's just <laughs> w- <laughs> Yeah. So hunt. I mean, it it, may, it works. But uh, www.huntalaskadiy.com and uh, and then I'm on Instagram at Alaska underscore DIY. Um, I'm on, I, I'm not, on, are you on Facebook very much, Bo? Uh Yeah, I, I
1: have Facebook and I, I use it, but it's, it's not my number one way of, uh, with traffic and everything. It's, it's, it's a little bit, I don't know. I don't like Facebook, but it's, <laughs> I, I felt like it was kind of a necessary evil.
0: Yeah. I like, I have a Alaska DIY Facebook account and I just copy every, you know, there's that function where you can copy everything over from Instagram to yeah. Facebook. So I don't, yeah. So I I don't pay that much attention to Facebook, unfortunately. So if you're really active on Facebook, I apologize. You can see some of my posts on there from Alaska DIY, but I really don't interact that much on there because I like you. I just don't like it. Uh, I feel like it. It was really cool a few years ago, and then our, our parents got a hold of it, and <laughs> yeah, yeah. <but. laughs> you know, then yeah. So anyway, not a criticism. I just I just enjoy Instagram more. So um, and then I have a podcast too, man. Um, so Alaska DIY podcast that's on you know iTunes and Stitcher and some of the common places where you can find them. Uh, I did. Uh, have you seen the podcast? Yeah, yeah, I've I've listened I've listened to a few
1: episodes on there actually.
0: Oh, cool, man! I did just put out uh, a couple of weeks ago a podcast with Steve Opat. I don't know if you saw that one. But, um, since we were talking about the Hall road, he, dude, he's been up, he's been caribou hunting up there like a dozen times. He's probably logged close to 10,000 miles on the Hall road. So that's what I called it. I was like 10,000 miles on the Hall road. I think it's episode 14 or 15. I'm kind of, <laughs> I started the podcast project when I had a lot of time Then all of a sudden I, I got really serious about guiding. And, and so I'm crawling along at a snail's pace in terms of putting out episodes, but I still really enjoy it. So cool. But well, that's a, that's a good one to listen to so. Yeah, definitely.
1: I'm going to, I'll be checking that one out as, uh, as we start again, going in the next stages of planning here.
0: Yeah, man, for sure. And then, um, so the next steps here would be for you guys to take a look at those herds that I mentioned. Um, and we can talk a little bit more offline about the mountain aspect of that, since you brought that up there kind of at the end, um, you can start doing some very specific research in terms of like, you know, Googling the Western Arctic herd or like, you know, uh, air taxis that do, do hunts for the Western Arctic herd, and then you'll get specific people to talk to. Um, you can find it, you know, once you start looking into that a little bit, you know, the Western Arctic for an example of the, of the few herds that I named, once you start looking into that stuff a little bit you can uh start to surf social media and, and search hashtags and start to find people you can even start to kind of recognize areas or or you know shout out dm them and say hey was this in this area of alaska by chance you know i you know awesome picture i just was wondering if it was from over here and usually if you do that kind of approach people you know are pretty open you know you're asking a pretty innocent question and then you can kind of get a feel from pictures sometimes how mountainous or what the terrain looks like or yeah you know or maybe just open the door to like oh cool well, who did you end up flying with, we're, we're actually researching air, air taxis in that area or something like that. It's a pretty natural, uh, way to start a conversation. So, um, yeah, that would be next steps, you know, and then once you get that component figured out of like, what herd you want to focus on, then we jump into travel logistics and away we go. Sounds good. Abe. Hey, I, I really appreciate you taking the time to talk
1: here and help educate myself, uh, selfishly as well as the, the listeners to learn a little bit about, you know, the Planning a trip to Alaska and showing that it's not, you know, out of the question. It's it's something that's hundred percent possible with with some some planning and and as you stated, you know, focus planning.
0: Yeah, for sure. I just think it helps so much. You know what I mean? It helps make it manageable. And uh, yeah, if we do get a chance to jump on the call again. I might, you know, I might even ask you to get out your credit card or something at some point. No, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> get, get, get to that, get to that. Act fast, part. No, but that's how you guys are committed. I, I, I got faith that you guys are going to make it happen. Just how serious you guys have uh, researched it so far. But, uh, dude, look. Uh, for me, coming up to Alaska and getting getting out and doing these hunts has been like literally quite life changing. You know, it's it's allowed me to really live a lifestyle and have experiences that i've always dreamed about having um and and i feel like i'm i am who i want to be or who maybe who i was meant to be is a little bit cheesy but you know i feel like i'm in my own as a human being when i'm out there on the mountain in alaska and in wild places and and so i guess if i can share share the the uh you know, inspiration or courage or a little bit of the information with folks that they might have a similar experience, then that's super worthwhile to me. And that's super valuable. You know, like it's, it's an opportunity. I guess I look at Alaska DIY as an opportunity to potentially change someone's life just by, you know, showing them that this is possible, you know? So yeah, man, for sure. It's helpful.
1: Yeah. I I think that, I think there's a lot of good information here and, like I said, Abe, I really appreciate you taking the time and and going through all this.
0: Yeah, for sure. Thanks. Uh, thanks for putting this together, and so we can get on here and chat, man. We need to do this in person sometimes, so we can drink some beers and and chill out and and uh, yeah. I think I think we're gonna have to make that happen. <laughs> yeah. Well, if you're coming up here, you know. Uh actually never mind you're going to be coming up here during hunting season I'll be gone. You'll have to we'll have to definitely get together sometime. I yeah. met mi- did you um are you pretty active with BHA?
1: Yeah, yeah I am.
0: Did you go to the rendezvous?
1: I did not. I'm going oh. to they're having like an Eastern rendezvous called Muster on the Mountain here in Pennsylvania for all the East Coast people here in June and I'll be going to that.
0: Oh, awesome. That'll be cool. Yeah,
1: I yeah. want to I want to make it out to Boise one of these years. It's just uh I had to look at with my vacation time from work either spending it going there or on a hunt and I picked hunting.
0: Yeah, that's a pretty good call, man. I was just looking for some excuse to uh, have a have a chance to sit down and grab a beer and and you know and uh, do I don't know if you cuss on here, but I was going to say I'm bullshit a bunch, but you yeah. can edit that out if you don't cuss. Um, no, but yeah, man, we'll make it no happen. limits on here. <laughs> oh, okay, cool. Well, shit, man, you should have told me sooner. <laughs> uh, no, it's awesome, man. Well, we can wrap this up. I'm sure you're, you're more. It's probably like going on eleven o'clock there, isn't it?
1: Oh yeah. It's, it's getting a little late, but no, it was a good (laughs) conversation, man. I really appreciate it.
0: Yeah, for sure. Thanks so much, Bo. All
1: right, Abe. Well, we'll talk to you soon here and, uh, and yeah, enjoy the nice spring, summer weather there.